Good morning, everyone. Thanks for being here. Big day on the show. We've got a lot of guests lined up today. And of course, we are going to spend all morning long spending time with you talking about Phoenix Children's Hospital and the Giveathon presented by your Valley Hyundai dealers, Option Indian Communities. I am excited about this week every year. Um, it is really the, the it is really one of my favorite things to do all year long, especially here on the air. Uh, we're going to start with the guest this morning at 9.05. Um, Republican candidate for governor, Kerry Lake, will join me just after 9 o'clock. Lots to talk about that's happening uh, here in the country and around the world. We're going to talk with her about Arizona, some of the policies and changes here that may happen. So we'll have a conversation with her. And we're also going to talk with uh, Maricopa County Sheriff Paul Penzone at 9.35 about election safety for candidates. And it's an interesting thing that they are putting on and making available to candidates with all the contention in elections right now. Right now, uh, interesting thing that they are doing at the sheriff's office. We'll talk with him at 935. And then at 11.05, we're going to speak with Steve Hooper. Steve Hooper has been on the show many times. He spent over 30 years in the FBI. Him and his wife have a company called Tripwire Security Solutions, which they started with the intention of uh, you know stopping situations before they happen. And I think it's a great idea. And what I mean by that is uh, active shooters, threat assessment, whether it's corporations, school districts, or individual schools, how you can be best prepared if something tragic were to happen. So we're going to discuss that with him because of what happened in El Mirage. Uh, El Mirage Elementary School uh, last week or the other day had a lockdown. And when they locked down, parents showed up to get their kids. There was an active – I believe it was a – someone that was armed trying to get into the school. And I believe he never got on campus, never got in, which is good. But what ended up happening was parents showed up. And when the parents showed up, they tried to get past the police to get into the school to get their children. And in light of what happened in Uvalde, Texas, can't blame them. And this is where you look at this situation and you look at both sides of it, at least I try to, and try to understand what's happening. So this is where the conversation is going to go this morning, especially at 11.05 with Steve Hooper. What do you do to prepare for situations like this? And what I mean by that is everybody has to know their role to a much lesser degree. When my girls were young, when I was still married and my girls were young and living in the house, we had a rule in the house. We had a burglar alarm in the house, and uh, we didn't do drills, but we had a rule that we talked about often. You know, so you can accidentally, and it happens most of the time, 99% of the time, we all know, thankfully, a burglar alarm uh, goes off. It's a malfunction, or someone accidentally opened a door or a window. Um, it's not a, a burglar, but... We had a plan in our house that if the burglar alarm ever goes off in the middle of the night, nobody leaves their bedroom except me. Because you don't want to see a dark figure in a hallway, especially if they're panicked and running toward you and you're armed. You don't want to make a, a mistake like that. So we would talk about that often. Remember, and, and, and listen, you know, listen, if you hear me yelling, hide if you feel threatened. We had the plan in place. So if you look at both sides of this issue and what happened in El Mirage, thank God there was really no danger in the end. No one got onto the campus. But if there had been an active shooter on the campus, you can absolutely understand parents after what happened in Uvalde, Texas, saying there is absolutely nothing and no law on the books that is going to stop me from getting to my children. Three parents were arrested. One was tased. 
You look at the other side of that and you say, okay, now you I think one of the parents was armed as well. So then you think, okay, now the police are in a bad situation because if they go in, and I shouldn't say if, if that guy had gotten on campus, when they go in, they don't know who the good guys are and they don't know who the bad guys are. Now you've got armed parents and the police don't know who to confront and who to engage. And police are trained, and I know it was a a failure in Uvalde, Texas, but the way that training has changed for police officers in active shooter situations, especially on campuses, are if there is more than one of you, you engage and you you, um, neutralize the threat. That officer's safety is secondary. You go and, and, and stop the threat, which, of course, we know means you shoot them. You are t- you are you are not armed with a taser. You are armed with lethal force, and um, so now they've got to confront whatever they see. And if there's an armed stranger on campus, they don't know if it's a parent or a suspect. So if you look at both sides of this, it is you understand. At least I do. I understand both sides of this conversation. I will say in defense of the police officers in Arizona, we are not Uvalde, Texas, and this is not I'm not slamming Texas law enforcement as a whole, but it was a failure in Uvalde. But if there's one thing I know about law enforcement is every situation, whether it is successful or unsuccessful, there is a debrief and it's used for training purposes in this sense. How can we be better prepared to do it better next time? What did we do right? What did we do wrong? It's it's I, this is such a crass way of saying this, but it's a it it's it's a game film. It is the officers going back with leadership and saying, "What did we do right? What did we do wrong?" Just like a football team does when they they break down the film from the game yesterday. If it's if it's a game you lost, it's painful to watch that game film, but it's necessary to see where you need to improve. So I can guarantee you that after Uvalde, Texas, that every single police agency in this country had a conversation somewhere with whether it was with their SWAT team or CERT team, whatever you call it, or their officers in general, deputies, whoever it is. If a situation like this happens again, remember your training, neutralize the threat. So I believe that law enforcement across this country learned a valuable lesson from Uvalde, Texas. That being said, you're a parent of an elementary school age child. You got a notification that your school's on lockdown. Someone's trying to get in on campus. Your kids are locked inside the school. You tell me what would stop you. Tell me what. I don't care how much you respect law enforcement. What would stop you from entering that school? And that's that's the rub. So what do you come up with? And this is where I think the school districts are on the hook. And this is where a guy like Steve Hooper and his wife are, are, are such valuable assets because, you know, over 30 years, between the, the two of them, the Hoopers have well over 50 years of, of experience in the FBI. And they both were with the SWAT teams, and he was JTTF leader here. They worked out of the Washington field office. Their careers are not just long, but they are illustrious careers. So their experience tells them, we are going to start a company that addresses this with people. So we're going to ask him at 1105, what, what, what's a good pathway here? And part of it is that he's talked before about threat assessment to know where the threats are and to kind of keep track of them. And there's one person in charge. But when there's an actual incident going on, everybody needs to know their role. Police officers train. 
police officers train so that they know that when they're in a situation, whether they're from the same agency or the same squad, they've got a training in place that they all understand what their role is walking in. It's kind of like a military training. And when you look at the fire department, the fire department does exactly the same thing. They train and they train and they train and they train. And wherever you are in that truck, wherever you are on that hose, wherever you are in that situation, you understand what your role is. And everybody around you understands what your role is. And it's one more level of safety. But how do you bring these two sides together? Hopefully it never happens again in El Mirage. But shouldn't school districts across Arizona and across this country be looking at this situation and saying, okay, the communication where you notify parents, great notification. You have to notify people. But what is it exactly that you can do? To make sure the parents are an asset and not a liability. Because in that situation, the parents ended up being a liability. I would have done the same thing. I can tell you that when my girls were in elementary school, based on what happened in Uvalde, Texas, I and everybody that's listened to this show for longer than five minutes knows that there is no one more pro-law enforcement than I am. Nothing would have stopped me from getting into that school unless there was some plan in place, unless I had reassurance ahead of time. We've talked about this and we're going to let it play out the way we planned. And unfortunately, where we are today, stuff like this is necessary. There was a a, a kid in a high school um, that was stopped by a um, School resource officer, he pulled a gun out in a situation. The school resource officer was able to disarm this kid. You know, so we're going to have these conversations for a long time, and you know it's always going to be about the guns, and I don't want to go down that road. The road I want to go down here is what do we do in light of what we saw in El Mirage? I don't think these parents should get charged with a crime, and I say assault against a police officer is something you should almost always charge people with a crime. I don't know if they'll get charged with a crime. But there needs to be a conversation so that this doesn't happen again. And then if it does happen again, then you start charging people because we've gone over this. It's an interesting situation. I'm anxious to see how it plays out um, in the long run, what they do with the charges against these parents. One parent was tased, so it rose to a pretty high level for that to happen. All right, coming up in a minute, uh, this morning for the first time on this show, you're going to have an opportunity to hear some great stories about Phoenix Children's Hospital. You're going to hear some amazing parents and amazing children that have overcome so much and that are out there wanting to have you and I join together and help Phoenix Children's. It's all coming up here in just a moment. The Giveathon for Phoenix Children's is presented by your Valley Hyundai dealers and the Auction Indian community. KTAR News 92.3 FM in the KTAR News app. Give us on on the Mike Broomhead Show. Hey, we are doing this all week long. If you are just jumping in for the first time this week, raising money for Phoenix Children's Hospital. And a big thank you to our title sponsor, your Valley Hyundai dealers and the Auction Indian community. But also we want to thank people that have already jumped on board with us. Uh, uh, Gerardo and Tottleson, $240. Kenneth, $250. He's in Mesa. Catherine, $400 in Chandler. Uh, Shelly, $50 in Scottsdale. John, $500 in Scottsdale. Zach, $800 in Surprise. A big thank you to the community for partnering with us. Your opportunity to jump in and make sure that Phoenix Children's Hospital continues to thrive and continues to be there for families that have situations beyond their control. I want to uh, thank our friends at Madame Homes, and I want you to hear this great check presentation. 
Well, I am here with Don Barano, the division president of Madame Homes. Don, it is so wonderful to have you here. Thank you for your time. Thanks for inviting me. Of course. So let's just jump right into it. I would love to know why it is important for you and Madame Homes to participate in the Giveathon for Phoenix Children's Hospital. You know, at Madame, we're always looking for uh, sincere opportunities to be involved. And if we have a, a connection, that makes it even better. And and we've been on the lookout for a more marquee opportunity in the Phoenix market and we've got some employees uh, three that I know of off the top of my head that have had uh, family members at, at the Children's Hospital and have had both great experience lives have been saved and, and the families have been put back together and that helped drive our passion to say we want to get involved this year. You're our Stories of Hope sponsor this year so we can't thank you enough for your involvement. Would you mind sharing how Madame Homes fundraised for this event? We're going to make a, just an outright company company donation uh, just straight straight off the top and then uh, we'll be encouraging and I expect a lot of involvement in terms of money raising on behalf of our employees here in the Phoenix market so again we've got a great giving spirit uh, on this team um, which makes it which is a lot of fun I enjoy that and, um, <laughs> hey we do too <laughs> yeah and um, so I, I think beyond just our straight donation I think uh, we'll be fundraising pretty effectively across our, our staff now would you mind sharing what that straight donation is? It's uh, $5,000. Awesome. Thank you so much, Tom. You're welcome. It's incredible to have corporate partners like that, and I just thanked a bunch of people that jumped in with us, and the reason why we are doing this, and they are the Stories of Hope sponsor, and I want you to hear one of those Stories of Hope. Uh, imagine being a labor nurse, working with newborns and moms um, for your career, and understanding what it's like to be around those babies, and understand when problems happen, and at 24 weeks, you become terribly sick, and your life immediately changes. This is Layla's story. I'm Paula. And I'm Tony, and this is Layla's story. It was absolutely perfectly normal pregnancy. And then it just like out of the blue, I got really sick and wound up having her. I believe kids ought to stay kids as long as they can. Turn off the screen, go climb a tree, get dirt on their hands. It all happened so fast. I got there at 2 o'clock and she was born at 5. You know, me as a labor nurse knows that a 24-weeker is not good. There's a lot of issues 24-weekers can have when they're born. I really didn't know what was the possibilities of things going wrong until she explained it to me. We literally didn't think that she was going to make it. Most 24-weekers don't have very good outcomes. The nurse practitioner tried three times to intubate her, and I begged her and started crying just to save her. And they tried one more time, and she was actually able to intubate her that last time. That first night was very hard. Not knowing if she's going to live or die, and never knowing if I got to hold her before that happened. It was very, very rough. Monday after she was born, we sat down with the neurologist. They explained that she had the grade four brain bleed on one side and a grade two on the other side. That you know, there's a possibility that she may never walk or talk. That's when they gave us the option if we were going to keep her on life support or take her off life support. So we said, as long as she wasn't suffering and she wasn't in pain and she wasn't hurting, that we wanted to do everything possible for her. And she's here today. <laughs> 
we got to bring our baby home finally after 115 days. But with a 24-weeker, your journey is never going to be over. They have lifelong medical issues. It's, like they say, a roller coaster. I believe most people are good and most mamas ought to qualify for sainthood. The biggest hurdle for her is, is what kind of future is she going to have? I want her to be just like her sister and not have to worry about anything but being a kid. Our new normal is to whatever's going to help her live a happy, healthy life. Do I think the roller coaster is over? No. Do I think that we're in great hands with PCH for whatever else arises? Absolutely. Every hurdle that we've gone through, they could help us at PCH, and they have made it as easy as possible for us to go through all these challenges. It's not like going to a normal hospital, like we were driving on the way here, and she actually wanted to go to PCH, her hospital. They treat you like their family. I believe most people are good, and most mamas ought to qualify for sainthood. She thinks of PCH as her hospital, and she's not scared of it. They've helped us through our struggle and then some. I know that there'll be a next challenge. I'm not unrealistic to think that there's not going to be with her, but we're ready for whatever challenge comes next because we know that we are in good hands with them. If it wasn't for them, our daughter wouldn't be where she is today. I believe most people are good. That is just one of the miraculous stories from Phoenix Children's Hospital. You could hear the uh, the fear in their parents' voice, but also the joy and the happiness they felt and the comfort they feel from Phoenix Children's Hospital. It costs about $2.7 million a day to run Phoenix Children's Hospital. Now is your opportunity to, uh, to give. Right now, the AZ Kids Experience, that's the match music. AZ Kids Experience are going to match your donations, means you're going to double your investment. So now is your opportunity. The phone number is 602 9 That's 602-933-4567. Or from your smartphone, you can text GIVE to 411-923. That's GIVE to 411-923. All right, that music is the Train Teddy Bear Express, meaning if you commit to donating $20 per month, that's $240 for the year, you will become a hero. You will become one of the... uh, Providers of hope for these kids. It is something that is amazing. A bear will be delivered in your name to these patients. You also receive your choice of a free kids pass to Wildlife World Zoo or a free polish and shine from Cobblestone Auto Spa. Become, if you can, or donate anything, a a train uh, champion of hope. Again, 602-933-4567. 602-933-4567. Or text GIVE to 411-923. That's GIVE to 411-923. We're doing this all day long. Please give if you can. Coming up in a moment, Gatos is going to join me, and it's our Big Q poll question of the day. The Gatos Big Q poll question, brought to you by your Valley Toyota dealers. Hey, good morning, Gatos. Good morning. Did you talk about the El Mirage School? Yeah, I did. I did. That's my cue today. Oh, good. I've got. I have a guest coming on, uh, an expert, kind of in security, and he's going to join me and talk about maybe a solution to this never happening again. Yes, yes, yes. Kids were back in class at an El Mirage School Monday after a lockdown Friday. Uh, Do you feel your children are safe in? 
in school in the valley yes or no i don't it's weird man you see the video and stuff yeah uh i don't know it's uh it seemed that a couple parents got too close and then a gun fell out of somebody's pants and then cops were like well we can't have that and i think we just got to remember our cops are not cowards like uvaldi cops. i i agree but i also understand the fear in the parents and if you if you feel fearful for your kids there's nothing and both sides into this have great points and both sides have reason to be concerned so i hope there's a way to have a meeting of the minds where there's a plan in place ahead of time so it never happens again yeah i think you're going to see parents go to school and wait outside when their kids text them that there's some sort of shooter around. Right. I think you're going to see that a lot more, but we just got to remember, we ain't Uvalde. I agree with you 100%. I have faith in law enforcement in Arizona. So that's a really timely question, and, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how it plays out. See you tomorrow. Thanks, man. That's Gatos and the Big Q poll question today brought to you by your Valley Toyota dealers. Coming up just after 9 o'clock, it is, uh, we are sprinting toward the general election. We are going to have one of the gubernatorial candidates, Republican. Carrie Lake joins us at, at 9.05 to talk about her campaign for governor and some of the biggest issues we face.